Hello and welcome to Corona Stories, the place where people can be open and honest about their feelings surrounding Covid, lockdown and related matters. I'm Christine Padgham. This conversation was recorded on the 28th of January and although it's a pleasure to speak to Gillian in so many ways, it was so desperately sad to hear how Covid restrictions in the name of safety could have blighted the chances of her foster son for the rest of his life. Please bear with us while we organise our sound better. We found a better recording medium but we had a few technical issues last night. We're amateurs and we're learning. Thank you. Welcome, Gillian, to Corona Stories. I have met Gillian on Facebook through the Scottish Corona Stories page. And on this episode, she is going to speak about her experiences of raising a foster child during lockdown. Hello, Gillian. Hello, hello. How are you? Yeah, yeah, we're okay. So I've got three birth children who are just about to turn 17, 7 and 6 and a foster child who is just about to turn 2. Oh, and so you're, that sounds very busy. Yeah. And how long has your foster child lived with you? He has been with me since about the middle of April so really just about a month into lockdown he he came to stay with Aww. us so, so in the thick of it all okay. well, mm-hmm. obviously when he arrived it, it was a similar setup so um, social workers were still allowed to come into my house to deliver this child um, to me and settle him but then after that protocol really would be that a social worker would be here visiting the child and another social worker would visit me at least once a month so because of lockdowns and restrictions and because they're trying to limit themselves from visiting too many households I think I've maybe had a social worker in my house three times and since April so in almost a year that's been just just three visits they do see them and his contact meetings and a health visitor's been a couple of times to see um, the wee one. But really, as far as what norm would be, um, it, it's been very different. And the, the whole point, the social workers really need to see children in situ. They need to see how they're yeah. acting, any differences. Um, for example, so the child social worker saw this, this, this kid on a regular basis since he was born. Um, she knows him very mm-hmm. well and she's not really able to see the difference in him because she can't be here to see him and see how he's reacting with other children um, and just how he's getting on in general. So so that is very okay. different and I think uh, very unfair on the child because um, she's also a link to his, his past life and you need to keep the links. It's really important that kids that come into foster mm. care still have this connection to their life. It must, must be completely terrifying to move and not have anything familiar, do you know, for absolutely everything to be different. Tell me, is this the first time you've fostered yeah. a child? Or yeah. are you 
fostering so, process it's a year of assessments with a with a social worker okay. um, with me for hours and hours at a time they probably know more about me than I know myself to be honest um, so they do, and they are very supportive I mean they're doing everything they can they still phone the email yeah. I've got 24 hour um, numbers that I can call if I need any support at all so they are very very supportive um, uh-huh. and and they know that the child is safe for me or that they wouldn't leave the child there but it is more for them to see how the child's developed do you know and 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 how comfortable they are because when a, when a child comes to you so for example when he came I said oh he's really he's settled really easily he was really he was really really good he ate really well slept really well he would come up and take comfort from you sitting on your knee um and I said no he's, he's settled in great and it wasn't until a few months in that I actually discovered that he was a really cuddly kid. It, it took months for him to really come up and, and cuddle you for the sake of just getting a hug and getting that closeness. Um, my social worker would know that at home he is this cuddly kid, do you know? So she'd have been able to visit and see that he was maybe still feeling a little um, unsure of himself, but she, she wasn't able to see that, do you know? So it's a whole... It's a whole section of his well-being that's been missed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so when they came to visit, what were the visits like? Did they have to wear a mask? Uh, they, in... they do, yes. They wear, they wear a mask, but I have said to them, that, I mean, they should, I suppose, wear a mask, but I've said to them, please don't come in with a mask because it freaks my little one out. He really doesn't like it. So some foster carers, they maybe have vulnerable children at home or a vulnerable partner, and they'll do meetings outside yeah. in their garden. So we did do um, the first maybe two meetings were in the garden. Um, and then, But inside, I've got quite an open house, so windows open, um, no contact with each other, you know, disinfecting everything when they leave. But I was I was happier for them not to have a mask. I think it's a really um, horrible thing for the kids to see, for kids at that age, to see people all masked mm-hmm. up. And it was the same with his contacts visits for his parents. Because of lockdown from April to August, this child did not see his mum mum or dad or either of his two siblings who are both in separate foster care placements um, between April okay. and August so from coming here and how often uh, how often does he norm would he normally well see up until them? then he was living at home with them all so oh, he went from coming into placement oh, mm-hmm. and not seeing mum dad or siblings we did do video ads um which involves um, strapping them into a high chair, propping a phone or an iPad or whatever up so that he can see mum and dad. Now, you've got to bear in mind this child is 14 months old at this point. And one of the problems, one of the reasons that he came into care is because these children were spending a lot of time just plonked in front of devices um, and not socialising. So these were two issues issues that were on his actual care plan that needed sorted, do you know, that needed looked at. Um, it was to come to me and I was to not do that. So then his only contact with parents and none with siblings for all the months was to be in front of a phone, strapped in a chair, um, which is what they were wanting him not to be. And this was the only way he could communicate with his parents. And also, I mean, these mm-hmm. parents, it's a really common misconception that 
children that are in the foster care system, they're in the best place and it's always best to be with your parents but in a safe and loving environment. And these parents mm -hmm. love their children. Mm -hmm. They just lack some of the parenting skills um, that have been needed to look after them. So for them, communication was really difficult. It was really hard for the parents um, to see the, the, yeah, to see their child um, on the NDS screen and, and, and then their involvement. Normally contact, I would not be at contact, um, but because it was on um, video calls, I'm having um, to kind of lead them a little bit, which again just make must make them feel absolutely terrible. Do you know, it must have been so hard for the parents to just not even be able to hug their children and all that time. Not good for, you know, the future relationship. Of absolutely not. Because presumably, you're hoping that you're going to go back to this parents. Yeah, yeah. In my child's case, it's, it's, it was very likely looking that this, this child would go back. In fact, if it hadn't been for lockdown, I don't think this child would have been taken into care. But because they were not able to go in and check on the well-being of these children at home, um, when an issue was raised, they were, they were, they were lifted and that, that mm -hmm. was it. So, yeah, to, to maintain a good relationship at that age is absolutely paramount to this child's well-being. Gosh. Yeah. I see. It's so interesting speaking to you because these are things I hadn't ever really no, it's, considered it's, yeah, before. It's not something that I've heard um, a lot of. And I mean, some parents, birth parents, the kind of the worst end of the scale, I'm sure foster carers are really glad that they're not getting contact because that can be really bad for some children as well. It can be really disruptive. But at the end of the day, whether the parents are the best in the world but needing a little bit of help or the worst in the world, the child, the children, still need their mums and dads in their life. It's it's really important for them still to have a relationship with them, whether it's good or bad, because it's part of your identity and knowing who you are. And this is taught all mm -hmm. the way through your foster training as having links to your family, having contact with the, with the families. It's a link to your own identity, um, and and that's going to be missing for some people. That's going to be completely missing which is, is just setting them off at that age on a terrible footing. So so the video calls were yeah. bad enough. And then when contact started in person in August, he had not seen his parents for months and months. Um, I take him to, it's, it's just like a house. It's like a house and a house and scheme that's set up as a contact centre. I arrive with this little one and knock the door and parents answer the door with, three social workers in the background, all wearing masks. This kid hasn't left my side for five, six, well, whatever, between April and August. Mm. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. good for almost five months. And I'm having to drop him off and let him go into a house with him kicking and screaming and not wanting to go in. You know, and again, oh. horrible for the parents. You know that just was heartbreaking for the parents that that he's um that he's lost that connection with them because much as though there was issues with the parent and he, he really was a loved child and very cuddly very um very loving and and mum and dad were both very loving to him and yeah heartbreaking oh, for them to see that so just to reiterate what you said before 
you feel that he might not have been taken into care at all if it hadn't been for the pandemic. It was because access to the parents was Yeah, difficult. and the parents did agree. So mm-hmm. so this child hasn't been lifted on an order, okay. like a court order. The parents right. agreed that there were struggles with but them think- and the children would be better in care um, for a little okay. while to help them out. Okay. So, you know, the pandemic has contributed to him being put into care or our response to the pandemic has contributed to him being put into care in the yeah. first place. Then going into care, he's arrived at you, he's not having the normal contact with his parents because of our response yeah. to the pandemic. And he's having video calls with siblings who are beside themselves asking about him and wanting to know how he was. Um, and... Okay. And you know, his visits to his parents were over video. You were there, kind of effectively interfering, yeah, yeah. unwillingly, and having to tell my um, children to stay out the road for their own, um, to protect their identity, making sure that they're not um, coming down when you're on a call, and, then, and um, them having to creep around. <laughs> and then when he did get his visit much later than would have been normally happening, it was with masks. It was in a strange place. Yeah. With people that he hadn't seen properly for yeah. four months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it is, of course, well known, certainly to me, that parenting young children at the moment, even in the easiest of circumstances, is very difficult because there is no activities yeah. for children. Yeah. And you very kindly commented on one of the posts on our Facebook page. I think, I think I'm speaking correctly, or or maybe somebody responded very kindly to you, but there was some question of whether you could meet up with somebody in the area because she had a two-year-old yeah. who was going nuts because nothing to do. Um, and that was really nice to see. So, what, like, how do you think that's affected him? Like, what would you normally have done? Well, it's a, a massive. So, so my own two are only just turning five and seven, so we'd have swimming groups. Um, we went to a music uh-huh. class, we went to play groups, we went to soft plays, which are amazing for child's development. Um, yep. And there's just nothing. So we, we did manage to book a swimming class when things opened for a little while, but it's not an interaction. Do you know, it's an activity to go out and do them, but children at that age need social, social interaction with their peers. And it gets more and more important the older that, that children get this this social interaction. Again, it's about forming your own identity. As your identity change, kind of as a teenager, it's really, really important. But two-year-old, it's, yeah. it's actually learning these social skills that they will then carry on through into the years. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just a completely, I mean, you'll see children when they play together, it, it's completely different to have them in a in a structured environment a play group somewhere they can meet up with their other peers and just become who they're going to be so yeah and as I said it's actually on this child's care plan that this is what he needs he needs to be having social interactions Mm -hmm. um, and group Mm -hmm. settings and that's that it's impossible it's not happening I did go to one group it was a kind of singing and dancing and story group and I thought that that sounds great he really loves singing and dancing and this wee kid has not really been in many new places and anywhere new is a big struggle for him he becomes quite socially anxious so he was quite anxious and wanting to just bolt for the hills and we were told now these were children that were 
between one and a half and two and a half, maybe three, we were told we had to stand on a dot with this child two metres away from everybody else so we're not to run loose, um, which was just horrendous. Halfway through, I almost walked out because he just wanted to go and look at the other kids and speak to them. And I actually... I can't believe what you're saying. Yeah, I know, neither could I, neither could I. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought the adults um, might have to stay separate, but the children could go and mix. But no, we were to try and keep our children stood on these spots in the middle of a hall. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I just thought this is worse than actually, this would have been worse than not going. This is teaching them absolutely nothing about social interaction. Oh, this makes me really infuriated. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm very, very lucky. I actually do have a grandson. I've got an older daughter as well. So my grandson is only weeks um, younger than the little one that I've got. So we do, and she is my bubble partner. So we do have interaction with with him, which is good. But it's uh -huh. a one-on-one. -on -one. It's And it's in your own house or in your own yeah. garden. It's not this kind of structured play group. Um, you know, shared toys environment that they're that they should be having. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very much if if my grandson comes here, the toys are both their toys. You know, it's not like my toy and your toy now, but in a group setting, I've got no idea how he's going to be sharing toys and and um and playing with other children. Mm -hmm. It's um, I mean, we've made this point before on this podcast I'm sure it's been said many times but um you know for children to learn to interact with one another it's not an optional no. extra it's absolutely essential to their health and their well-being and their development and their intelligence everything, just everything. Is, yeah like, and in and, and fostering terms it's one of the things that you're taught in training do you know it's it's some of the reasons that these children come into care um and some of the issues they're having is because they've missed all this when they're toddlers. Well, that's, I was just thinking that, but your son's um, been sent to you because... Because he's not getting that at home. He yeah. was just... <laughs> <laughs> and then he comes to you and then you're no. not allowed to go. <laughs> so it is, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. In a way, you know, having him sitting in front of a screen all the time was very good preparation yeah, for the yeah. pandemic because yeah I mean I we find that my daughters are very active but they do spend a lot more time sitting in front of screens now because school's yeah. on the screen and yeah a lot of their yeah their entertainment they don't sit at the same screen I try and mix it up and we do go for a big long walk every yeah. single day but they spend more time than I would like in front of screens because of yeah. the restrictions. So I've, I've actually refused it with my children. Yeah. We're a very low-tech household anyway. We don't have... Um, yeah. I'm doing this from my phone. My teenage son's got a phone, but my children don't have any tablets or computers or anything like that, the younger two. Um, and our school is yeah. very... Um, They've been very, very good in not enforcing having to sit all the time and do all this work. They have said it's a case of you do what you can manage and fit around your own family circumstances. And they're providing paper packs mm -hmm. of all the work. So we're doing it in paper packs. And they're mm -hmm. doing 
a few meetings um, on Zoom or Teams, I think it might be twice a week, where there's other mm. children and they're chatting. But to me, that is the exact opposite of how I want my children to be interacting with people. So I'm refusing to go to them. I just think my children would feel worse looking at their friends on a screen and not being able to play with them. Well, do you know what? My children are exactly the same. They, I make the older one go to her Google Meets yeah. for school. But the younger one says, I mean, she, I, I mean, my younger one's seven and I actually think it's quite, maybe I'm just saying this because I'm a mummy, but I think it's quite observant over, she's very self-observant and she says, I'd rather not see my friends than see them yeah. on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. You, you know yourself when you're doing a Zoom meeting and there's three or four or five people and they're all trying to speak and it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's not how you should interact socially and I'm not teaching my seven six-year-old that this is an okay way to sorry I've got a dog boofing in the background here um <laughs> an okay way to interact with people I'm very lucky my younger two have got each other and we live rurally so there's loads of open space we have a huge garden and I would say they've not really been badly affected by it um but this wee one it is going to badly affect them because it, it will affect his development now all the way through his childhood I know. Thank you for saying that sentence because that's what I think. I do feel sometimes that people that are point. missing yeah. this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, people. I am frustrated actually. Maybe I'm mistaking the situation, but it seems to me that people are not grasping this at all. And I don't think that I'm wrong for thinking this, but. When we're denying children for now a very significant yeah. period of time, the younger the child is, obviously, the more significant yeah. it is. You're denying them the opportunity to interact, which is going to affect their ability to interact for their yeah. whole lives. The research on this for child development is absolutely yeah. crystal clear. A hundred percent is, know, and there's studies to show this. And yeah. we actually have yeah. all had coronavirus but, and been fine. I'm more worried mm -hmm. about this child for how this is affecting his um, social development and just personal development than yeah. I am for him ever having um, coronavirus. Well, yeah, adults that can't interact socially with other adults, we know, yeah. are less healthy. So when we're, when we're doing this balancing the risks of COVID and COVID restrictions, I just feel like people are not calculating the risk to children and therefore all these future adults they're not balancing that risk at all they're not calculating the damage that they're doing to people lifelong damage so in order to protect the elderly overwhelmingly the elderly from a disease which yeah. might kill them we are sacrificing our whole children's or children's yeah. whole future and, and things like physical well-being as well do you know team sports yeah. i think are really important i know children who mm -hmm. are on swim teams who are depressed do you know they are now depressed because they are not doing mm -hmm. their swim meets and I, i'm not saying there should not be restrictions and we should not be protecting the vulnerable i am certainly not a covid denier i'm not an anti-vaxxer yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, 
I just, just thought it was a cold <laughs> otherwise. If it hadn't been everywhere in the media, um, yeah. of what was my, my point there. Yeah, I'm not, not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not anti-COVID. And I do think we should be protecting the vulnerable, but I think things like taking away sporting events for children, there's very, children are not super spreaders. Um, I've got friends that work in sick kids and every single child that comes into that sick kids has to be tested. And she is saying these children are not super spreaders of this virus. There is no reason that they should not be able to do outdoor sporting events and meet at school, meet with friends, mm-hmm. that there's no reason. Obviously, keep them away no. from the vulnerable. And if people are sick, then isolate yourself. I don't think there's been yeah. any evidence either to show that asymptomatic people are spreading it. No, asymptomatic spread, I think, has been yes. widely debunked. Yeah. But there's still a myth going around that yeah. it's a problem. And I think there, there's a, there's some research, I think, that you know pre-symptomatic spread is a very small contributor to overall cases. But, you know... I think the the time that you're most infectious is when yeah. you have symptoms initially. So, you know, there's no again, you're not we're not balancing the risks properly. In order to catch all the possibly pre-symptomatic people, we're locking everybody down and we're not assessing what the risk of yeah. that is for what is actually a very small risk public health-wise of pre-symptomatic spread. And I mean it's also just creating a whole it's a can of worms, isn't it? If we're going to start, you know, assuming that people who are healthy might be spreading a virus, then we're really, especially a respiratory virus, you know, this is a yeah. bit of a slippery slope. Well, you never Yeah, I mean, you, you know, Christine, my, my father is also in a nursing home. So, like, you know, we want mm. him protected. He also has had coronavirus and was absolutely fine. He was just a little bit sleepy for a day or so. When, when there's norovirus in the nursing home, they shut it down. They shut it down for a couple of weeks. Yeah. They deep clean it. They ask anybody that's feeling unwell not to come in. Now, that is completely mm-hmm. appropriate. That that seems appropriate for something which really wipes out nursing homes when it gets into them. And that's without this, mm-hmm. um, without it being spread so easily as coronavirus um, is reported to be. And so I don't understand why nursing homes are not doing the same thing do you know why they have now been shut for almost a year some people without seeing their loved ones at all and children are completely locked out of everything do you know all their school their education their friends their um sporting events anything social the children are, are not getting at all it seems like the only thing we're at risk of is catching coronavirus and passing it on um, and, a, and a small chance of obviously dying of it. Now that's not taken away from anybody that, that's died of it or any of the long-termers, but it seems that everything else has been forgotten about. Um, do you know, suicide rates, yeah. depression, people's mental mm-hmm. health, children's mm-hmm. health and well-being, mm-hmm. people in nursing homes, their actual well-being, because not seeing loved ones, not being yeah. able to touch your loved one for almost a year, I can tell you that is horrendous, both on the person, the resident and their families. But that is, that's completely disregarded. Yeah, that's not as important. I know. Well, like you say, I mean, when norovirus goes round a care home, it might shut for a couple of weeks yeah. and that's bad enough. But 
then it opens up again and people are allowed to act normally again. What's the difference? I mean, norovirus, I'm pretty sure, has a higher mortality rate the, the, in the elderly yeah, than yeah. COVID. Yeah, it is. It just, it just seems um, a completely disproportionate now. But no, but back to fostering. So, it so it's really, it's terrible for my child. It's terrible for this kid's parents. It's terrible for the siblings because they are getting very limited contact now as well. Um, and other foster carers in my situation, as I say, some of them are vulnerable, that they're, they're shielding, they're vulnerable, and you're given no choice. If a contact has been ordered, you need to attend with your child. I'm lucky none of us are vulnerable. But I know some foster carers mm. who have who are vulnerable themselves and they're taking their child to contact and they during that contact they might be seeing other siblings, parents, parents might be alcoholics who have been out drinking all the way through, um, don't know if they're well or not, turn up to contact visits. So, do you know, they've got a massive risk factor, you could say. Um, but they still do it. Do you mm -hmm. know they're still doing it for the sake of that child's well-being? And then again, mm. social workers—they they're having a that they're jumping through hoops, um, and they're normal ninety-five. And now for a contact visit, they need um half an hour in between. They need to bleach everything down. They need to clean it all. They need to wear gloves, mask, aprons. To deal with these children, you should not have masks on. It is terrifying for the little ones to go in and see all these strangers. With masks mm -hmm. on. I mean, it must be coming normal for some of them now to see people like that. When kids are little. Mm -hmm. You get a book about your expressions. I certainly know vulnerable children doing it, and it's about looking at somebody's face and seeing that person's happy, that person's sad, mm -hmm. because you can see their face. So, how are these children going to make connections on how people are feeling when they can't see their face? Well, they're not. And again, this is this is well yeah. covered ground. We know that children need to yeah, see faces. Yeah, and they're, we and we're not seeing them. And, and, yet, and then the social workers then have much less time in their day because all the cleaning in between to be able to fit in contact visits. So contact visits are shorter um, or they're less frequent. Um, even though they're still seeing the same amount of people, they've got less time to do it. And yeah, we're not valuing any no. humanness at all. No, any no. You're saying. And these people that... Which, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, still the parents me. and the children here, they they need as much support as they can get, and they're just not getting it. And it's yeah, mm -hmm. no, it's it's heartbreaking for them all because I now think that the outcome for my child, eh, well, not my child, but my, the child that's in my care, the outcome now I think is going to be different, and I think um, lockdown and restrictions has added to that. Yeah, we're literally talking about the most vulnerable people yeah. in society, the children yeah. in care, and we've just completely failed them. It's really sad. I'm so glad that your foster son is with you because I think you're obviously a very conscientious person. COVID came along and all of our prior knowledge fell out of our heads yeah and if it was for a few weeks or even a couple of months but it's 
it's just gone on far too long now. This is going to have mm -hmm. devastating effects on these kids. Yeah. This is one of the things that quite frustrates me. Um, I do try not to say things on this podcast that will make people cross, but I do get frustrated when people say, well, you know, your kids are fine and my kids are fine and let's, you know, let's not worry about this. And it's like, yeah, but my children are very fortunate that they still have both their parents at home, able to look after them, you know, we're still together, we're still comfortable. You know, my children are as well placed to deal with this as any children could possibly be. Yeah. But there's an awful lot of children, like an awful lot of children who are not as well placed, whose parents have lost their jobs or whose parents are now fighting constantly or whose parents are drinking too much or all the usual the sort of usual category of vulnerable children, we've just made them immensely more vulnerable. Yeah, and, and bringing and, in a whole new section of vulnerable children because people that are not yeah. coping yeah. um, is having a detrimental effect on these children. And children that are looked after or are already under social work kind of guidance or, you know, they're under their wing already, these kids have got um, places in school you know, so they have got other adults, they're so going to see other adults. But yeah. you're a child that, if you're in a family that everything was going fine and it's all come crashing down around your ears mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of the restrictions and because of lockdown, if you've lost your job or um, these children are not getting picked up at all now. The, these kids no, are completely under the radar and, mm -hmm. and no way for social work to go in and see them. If these kids yeah. are not in schools, there's no other adults to um, check up on them um, mm -hmm. or to flag any issues so there's a whole section that is going to be um, completely missed just now as well yeah we've just put the whole of society under duress yeah and um you know we already on this podcast we've heard from people from all walks of life all different sorts of people and you know, sometimes people will say, well, I don't really feel that I have anything to say because, you know, we've had it, we've not had it anything like as bad as some other people. But that's sort of, that's the point that, as you're saying, we had this whole section of society which functioned really well. Yeah. You know, the middle class, well off, first world problems people. Yeah. And those people all ticked along and we never had any reason to think you know, they were going to come unstuck. Yeah. And we've now created this situation. I speak to so many people every week who are losing their businesses, who have lost their jobs, who've completely lost their way, people who are having sort of mental health breakdowns, not even because of any particularly huge problem, just because they find the oppressiveness of this situation unbearable. Yeah. People are coming unstuck. And like you say, People, children who we didn't even who otherwise yet yeah they were they were per they were all set up to have a perfect wee life and I know that that might have been unfair and that there's a lot of people who were much worse placed and we could have been doing more about equality and things before this but my point is that we've just created this massive problem and for me it's not a question like have we created this problem? I know that we have yeah and I know that even if my children come out of this all right I don't know who their you know their peers are going to be who are all right yeah yeah 
I mean, uh, if, if my children come out mentally well, well, that's great. But who's going to be there to keep them company? Yeah. No, I feel as I say, my dad's in a nursing home. We've had issues. He's had COVID. Um, he's not seen us apart from through a like jail-like um, screen. Mm. But we, in a whole, like, I've not lost wages. My life's been absolutely fine. My my own birth children have been great all the way through it. They've coped really well with it. Um, I can't say it's yeah. brought me down. Like my situation hasn't brought me down. But then I see uh-huh. these kids in foster care and I hear stories about how other people's relatives in nursing homes are getting on and then something stupid comes on social media. Like for a while there, there was stuff going around about um, our our grandparents fought in wars, blah, blah, blah. Um, all you have to do is sit in and watch Netflix. And I just think that is just completely not the case and what's happening that does not reflect how people are feeling just now they're no, just sitting no. at home watching netflix um no. and these people that fought in the wars that fought for, our freedom. Yeah, fought for our freedom they're now stuck in a nursing home for 300 days and have never seen a loved one nor felt their hand or had a kiss on the cheek do you know and i think you you, you really don't have a clue do you know if you're sitting there feeling like everything's great you are not thinking about the other side yet at all I know I agree with you and I I had the I'm gonna say again, I might upset people when I say this, but I had the misfortune to have quite a number of people on my Facebook feed saying, you know, at New Year, we've had the best year ever. Yeah. And you're just like, please stop that now yeah. because you are embarrassing yourself. Yeah. And you know, if you've had the best year ever and your kids are fine, good for you. Yeah. But I think it's this thing, don't, you know, crow too loud too fast. Because as Sylvia and I said in the very first episodes of this podcast, it's only a matter of time. If this situation continues like this indefinitely, which is basically what the government keeps telling us is going to happen, you will be badly affected by this situation it's not a question of if it's a question of when something is going to come along that is an absolute disaster for you and you know don't like i i really really dislike this minimization of the effects of these restrictions on people and just the the precedent that it's setting as well yeah you know because a year ago i would never have believed that the government could do this to us no no and they have and so now I know that they can and you know the next time they come out and say right you're all to stay at home and you're not to leave your house for three months well I won't be as shocked by it you know at at this stage I would prefer a really hard lockdown for a month do you know lock it down hard don't let anybody leave their houses ever for a month and then don't let people come in without being tested (laughs) I just think it's yeah the the measures are just they're not making any difference and the only way that it would make a difference would be to have a really strict hard and fast lockdown shut everything down and then mm. let it all reopen it's, it's like a slow killing it's worse that doesn't seem to be an option and then the thing is now we have an endemic virus in our midst there isn't anything that we can do about it yeah. 
even in the Antarctic, when those scientists go down there for, you know, six months, they catch colds. Yeah. Completely isolated communities still catch viruses. So, you know, there's, I think we're, we're really past the point now of restrictions making any sense. And certainly if we're not going to do a proper risk assessment yeah. of any of it, I, I just find it astonishing how people deny you know, like there's people call uh, skeptics COVID deniers, but I almost feel like the other side. I don't know what to call them. I don't know what to call them. Lockdown deniers or um, like well-being deniers. I don't know. It's strange. They're just completely blind, or apparently completely blind to the damage. Yeah, yeah. We're doing. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. <laughs> But I mean, I just, it really does, I really, I have a broken heart. I'm so sad about what's happening to so many people in Scotland and beyond now. And I I just feel like I'll never be able to forgive it. And even the thing that I find difficult to forgive is the lack of acknowledgement of the damage. Yeah. That's the thing that really, that really bugs me because if they would just acknowledge the damage, then we could all assess the damage properly and do a risk analysis and a calculation. But yeah, there's just not anything balanced in the scales, is there? No. And for your foster son, I'm just so sad because it's such a sad life he's having even with the best foster parents in the world you know his life is sad and it's smaller than it should yeah, be very much so it's emotionally it's being sort of attacked emotionally as yeah. well because i yeah. mean he's, he's becoming very very um my worry is he's going to be quite secular do you know he's, he's going to want to just play on his own because that's how he's learned to play so mm-hmm. moving on from mm-hmm. here, I, I can't see that that's going to change for him. Do you know, I think he's always going to be this little secular kid. And then being in the foster care system, you've already got a stigma around you. Do you know, you already feel a bit yeah. different. So it's just an extra it's just an extra load for him to carry that he'll carry all the way through his life. Mm. Do you know... Is there a plan in place, like for when he might be able to go back to his family? Or we're just about at the end of assessment. So at the end of assessment, it'll be decided whether he'll go home to mum or dad, or um, or in a long term foster care, or up for adoption. So at the minute, it, it could be any one of them. I think at the very beginning of the assessment, he really should only have been in care for a few weeks. Um. Yeah, like when it, when he first came in, the, there was really just a, a plan of we will see how he gets on and hopefully be back with parents soon. And there was obviously other issues that came up like during assessment. There was other um, matters to, to kind of take into consideration. But I think without lockdown, it would have been a very different outcome for this, this wee one. Mm. Okay. But just very cool. sad. It's very sad. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to 
can be. No, I think I think that's me. Do you know, I'll come off the call and there'll probably be a hundred other issues that I thought, oh, there's that and there's that. But no, I think that is the main thing that the, the well-being of this child and his development and how it's been stilted because of the restrictions. Mm -hmm. His development and his future in every yeah, sense. Yeah, in absolutely every mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Well, we can always do a part two. <laughs> And um, I've spoken to you once before, I think, but I think, well, we have spoken at least once. I think it was just the one time, but I was looking forward to speaking to you tonight and you have surpassed my expectations. It really is a pleasure talking to oh, you, but it's, it's nice to get my story yeah. out there. It's, it's, yeah. it's good to, to speak about it. I think people really need to know what's happening. Yeah, they really, really do. And I hope that you will speak to us again. And I hope that we'll find out how your wee boys yeah, get on. Yeah, keep you updated. <laughs> and um, just thank you so much for looking after him on behalf of the nation. Oh, so that, that that's is what the easy part. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think that you're a really extraordinary uh, person. And you've had a hard... No, but you have you are and you've had a hard lockdown so it's amazing to speak to you and you still sound so upbeat and you're very articulate so it's been Thank a pleasure you, Christine. it's been lovely chatting thank you for listening we hope you found it interesting and that you'll join us again soon <laughs>